Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, thank you for this morning. Thank you for those who are able to gather uh, for the teaching of your word. I just pray you help me. Um, expound upon your truth and your word. We ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right, we'll be in, uh, let's get John chapter 10. And some of the key words that you'll hear, if you hear uh, Reformed faith or um, Reformed theology or sovereignty or um, sovereign grace, those are all terms, those are all key words that would tell you or they would be trying to tell you that that's the position that they take. And these aren't unsafe people. These are just folks that take a different theological approach to the Bible. And um, so it's important to just talk through these things, dig in God's Word, and see what we can come up with. Um, the King James Bible doesn't have the word sovereign in it at all. Now, it doesn't have the word Bible in it either. It doesn't have the word Trinity in it either. So... That doesn't mean we don't believe the Bible. That doesn't mean we don't believe the Trinity. And that doesn't, believe we, that doesn't mean we don't believe that God is sovereign. But it is interesting that a group that really parks a lot on taking this word sovereignty and developing it into a system, uh, the NIV Bible has sovereignty in it over 30 sometimes. Um, so it's interesting that the other Bibles do have that word a bit more. Uh, there's two pitfalls that we need to be careful of. And I usually use the saying that because people want to know, are you a Calvinist or are you an Arminianist? And so they start with that presupposition. A Calvinist's presupposition is if you're not a Calvinist, then you must be by default an Arminianist. I try to take the position that we should try to just be biblicists. And where John Calvin lines up with the Bible, we agree with John Calvin. And when Jacobus Arminius lines up with the Bible, we should agree with him. And that's a fair position that you can use for everybody, myself included. The preacher lines up with the Bible, we go with him. If he doesn't line up with the Bible, then we go with the Bible. But Arminius, he... Uh, his position was one that purposefully underestimates the efficacy of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us. And so this leads to a false salvation by works and an insecurity and an uncertainty up until the time that you die if you're really saved or not. So you can see why a Calvinist would say, well, you got to be a Calvinist, because if not, if you're an Arminianist, you believe in work salvation. So if you run the Arminianist position to its bottom line, you end up with a work salvation. That doesn't mean everything that he taught was wrong. It's just that, like anything, you can go and fall off a cliff on one side. The other side of the cliff is John Calvin. His belief was one that totally eliminates human choice. Life's events are unalterably fixed by God, who is sovereign. 
And human beings basically become mechanical, pre-programmed robots, and we don't want to run it that far and fall off that cliff on that side. Now, the Calvinist position, there's a few different positions that they take. One, limited atonement, for example. Christ's death was sufficient for all, but it was only efficient for the elect. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 6, says, quote, Neither are any other redeemed by Christ, effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved, but the elect only. Paragraph number 7 affirms that God passes by the non-elect and, quote, ordains them to dishonor and wrath for their sin, and, of course, to the praise of his glorious justice. So we don't want to question God. He's sovereign. Let his sovereignty be known. You have within this camp, there's three main categorical beliefs. One is that Christ died for a special elect group of people. And he did not die for the sins of the whole world. To them, the world means those that are elect. When they hear world, they mean, to them it means elect. It makes no sense for them to encourage the preaching of the gospel or public evangelism. They honestly see the non-elect as reprobate from the beginning, and there is no room for unlimited redemption. Now that's one view, and this is called the superlapsarian view, which basically means before the fall view, and that the fall of man occurred to facilitate God's purpose to choose some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. That's one view. They don't all view it that way. So there's another view. And there's three of these main views that Christ died only for the elect, but this group does see the need to preach the gospel. And so this is their reasoning. You never know who will be among the people you are preaching to. And there may be some of the elect who hear that gospel preached. And this is called the infralapsarian view, which basically is a long, techy theological word that means after the fall. And that is the position that while the fall was indeed planned, they don't believe it was planned with reference to who would be saved. So there's two different splits in how the camps would view that. The before the fall view is more the extreme view. The after the fall view is coming a little bit more in line with a, 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 a more of a balance. And then lastly, there's the view that Christ died for the whole world. The gospel should be preached and anyone who believes on Christ will be saved as God exercises his sovereign power in saving his elect. They also believe man is not totally depraved. He has the total inability to choose Christ. Um, so you have that view as well. And here's how the reasoning goes. 
Well, let's get John chapter 10 and let's get some scripture. Christ laid down his life for the sheep. John chapter 10, verse number 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father and lay down my life for definite article, the sheep. Okay, so Jesus only lays down his life for his sheep. They will reason that definite article though denotes the sheep, the elect. And let's get John chapter 10, verse 28, where the Bible says, here we'll see that Jesus will lose none of his sheep. So John chapter 10, verse 28, and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Now, when you look at that verse, look at the word them. I will give unto them. They will preach that as referencing the elect. I will give unto them or the elect eternal life. They shall never perish. Now look at the word any. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Meaning, if you're elect, there's no way you can't be elect. No matter what any man says or does, you're elect, that's it. Now, John 10, 28 is a great verse for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord and whoever is saved, that's a great eternal security verse and should be used as so. Now, let's turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. Many, we're going to key in on the word many, people will not receive eternal life. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13. The Bible says, Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few, underline few, there be that find it. Many people will not receive eternal life. And look, that's a great verse to use for the fact that, yeah, we are in a lost world. And many are on the broad way. And the narrow way is fewer people. And, and that preaches, and that's true, and that's right. But the Calvinist position will take that. The many are the elect, and the few are the non-elect. And so they'll preach it, but they'll kind of tweak it to key in on this word many and few. Few, I'm sorry, few would be the elect, right? Many would be the non-elect. That's how they would preach it instead of just leaving it alone and understanding that when you, when, you, when you draw the lens back, you're looking at a lost and dying world. It has nothing to do with God's going to save a few people that are elect and the rest are 
subject to wrath because they're the many. What, I, I wouldn't preach that that way. I wouldn't encourage. I wouldn't encourage anyone to preach it that way. But people do. All right, math. Uh, let's get over to Luke and let's get Luke fifteen and Luke nineteen. Luke 15, let's do verse number 4. What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Look at the world lost. No shepherd would do that. And Jesus is trying to get people to understand, you, you think that's me? I'm going to go after the one that's lost. Anybody that's lost, Jesus Christ is going after. His Holy Spirit is seeking. He came, Luke chapter 19, let's get the verse. Why did Jesus Christ come? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why He came. That was His whole purpose. Not only the elect have privilege and the non-elect are just destined to wrath. I don't believe that. Now, who can be saved anyway? Who should we preach the gospel to? Let's get three verses. Let's get Matthew 28. And let's get Mark 16. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Matthew 28, Mark 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Let's do Matthew 28 first and verse number 19. And the Bible says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Notice the Great Commission, all nations. That's where we're to go. Everywhere, all nations. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We see all. We see the world. We see every creature. That's a verse that covers a lot of theological ground. All world, gospel, every creation, creature. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Notice he doesn't say, not to the non-elect. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel 
but only to those that are elect. There's nowhere in there can you find that in the verse. The gospel is to be preached all nations, all people, all over the world, every creature. That's it. Okay. So who can be saved? We got that down. Number two. Let's go and run a few other verses. Uh, let's get Hebrews chapter 2, John chapter 3. The New Testament teaches every world, whosoever, and all. So Hebrews chapter 2, the Bible says in verse number 9, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You say, but those verses are so simple and so easy. They are. We don't want to throw our, our brain out. But we don't want to make things more complicated than they are. Yes, we have to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman. We've got to work through the Bible. We've got to study the Bible. We've got to make sure we rightly divide it. We, we need to make sure we cross-reference and we need to do that. But these are simple verses. We don't need to over-theologicalize everything that we read. God wants us. He put His Word for us to read it and believe it. And I think that's simple. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 2. 1 Timothy 2, verse number 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. 1 John 2, And he is the propitiation, verse 2, for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the what? Whole world. Whole world. Last two verses, Revelation chapter 22. And 2 Corinthians. Chapter 5. Revelation 22, verse number 17. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirsteth come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. That's a great verse to preach on for salvation. It's a whosoever gospel. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 14, the Bible says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for, mark it, all, then, watch this, 
were all dead. And he that died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Okay. And you'll hear this. All doesn't mean all. All means the elect. So when you look at this verse, the question isn't to argue which Greek word to go to because the Greek uses different words for these words. And then we're not, this isn't a Greek lesson, but this is how you can come up with different ideas. Was only the elect dead? It is not going to work. You have to teach that if you're going to be consistent in that verse. If Christ died for all, then all were dead. If Christ died for the elect few, then only the elect few could be dead. All means all. And if all means all, it has to use it when it refers to dead. All dead. You guys see that? Let's go back and look at it again so we get it. That if one died for all, Jesus Christ died for all. Calvinist camp will say all doesn't really mean all. It means it refers to only the elect. Right? So if we go with that, then we have to go with that on the last part of that sentence when the Bible says, then all, then we're all dead. If all only means the elect, then in this verse, it has to mean that only the elect was dead. And any Christian knows that's not true because all are dead in their trespasses and sins. So it doesn't work. It doesn't work. The Bible says, for when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. All right, let's do two Old Testament passages with a New Testament cross-reference. Let's get Isaiah 53. And let's get 1 Peter. Chapter number 2. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. We are all sheep. Notice every one of us, and includes every one of us. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. Cross-reference, but, or I'm sorry, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Any sheep that's gone astray, the Lord Jesus Christ has come to seek and save that which is lost. All right, one more Old Testament passage with a New Testament reference. Let's get Isaiah 42. And let's get Matthew chapter 12.
Isaiah 42, the Bible says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth, I have put my spirit upon him, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Matthew chapter 12 is our cross reference. Verse number, uh, verse number 20. Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Jesus Christ here, pictured as the elect, he came to save, and the Gentiles will trust in him. But here we see Jesus Christ as the elect. Now, let's look at some New Testament practice here. And then we'll wrap up with a few verses. Let's get Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse number 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We can't say whosoever doesn't mean whosoever. We can't say the world doesn't mean the world. Again, we talked about you have to be consistent. And they do make an ex a consistent excuse for erasing the obvious and then replacing it with more of an obscure meaning. We need to be careful of that anytime we study the Bible. Does it make sense that certain people will be saved if their response is no. That doesn't make any sense. You give the gospel to someone, they reject that gospel. You can't make sense of that by saying somehow that this person is elect. It's just a matter of time until they... There's a choice that, uh, that humans have to make. But did Jesus love that person? He did. Did Jesus Christ die for that person? He did. Sometimes it's easier to blame God. <laughs> and people do this when they fall off the cliff with, with the whole God's will thing. And people do it when they fall off the cliff with the Calvinistic thing. It's just easier to blame God. Yep, God saved him and God, hey, he's just, it's just God's sovereignty. And I know that there's sincere people that study the Bible, that have cross-references for the Bible, that love God, that are saved, and they honestly, sincerely want to teach people. And praise God for them. I just wish they would kind of backpedal a little bit, relook at some of these things, and just understand that, yes, God loved all, he died for all, 
And just because someone has a choice, it doesn't mean that they are trumping God's sovereignty. Without the drawing and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, nobody gets saved. If we're left to our own vices, nobody gets saved. The Holy Spirit is drawing people. Jesus Christ did come to seek and save that which is lost. Romans chapter 9. Verse number 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. It's a gospel for the Jews. It's a gospel for the Gentiles. Why would God suffer for just a certain group of people? He loved all, he died for all. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A couple more verses. Verse number four. Charity suffereth long. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. He's got charity. He defines it. So you can certainly make the application there. Charity suffereth long. And is kind. Jesus Christ is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself and is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeking not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Wow, charity never faileth. That's Jesus Christ. But whether there be prophecies, you can make that application very easily. They shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, But then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. Chapter 14 starts off. That's what we should follow after. We should follow after charity. I just don't believe that a loving God who is all charity and is kind and suffered like he did would do that just for a select group of people to show that he is sovereign 
I just think it makes more sense that He is more sovereign and shows more charity and shows more kindness when He dies for all. That's a loving God. The most wicked and debasive men can receive forgiveness of sins and redemption and everlasting life if they trust in Him. I believe that that shows Him as more sovereign and more charitable. Last verse. Last verse. Let's get 1 John. 1 John chapter number 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. That's good. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I like verse 2. This, let's key in on a few words here. And he is the propitiation for, underline, our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse number 2, another great verse. Not just our sins, the whole world. 3. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him himself, also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I run unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is, he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But, he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Now, verse 15. Love not the world. What is that? That's the world system. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Verse number 17, And the world passed away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Jesus died for the whole world. 
And then we see love not the world. Do we only not love that which is elect in the world? If the world doesn't mean the whole world, <laughs> then how do you reconcile if Jesus died for the whole world and the world doesn't really mean the world, just means the elect? And then the Bible says, love not the world. You only not love that which is elect in the world. <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It doesn't. Last verse, Luke 23, and then we're done. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. Forgive them. If Jesus died only for the elect, And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, the elect. Are we only to forgive ones we love? And not forgive the ones that we hate? Christ died for the world. The Bible says, love not the world. Forgive them. Christ died for the whole world. And we're saying. Forgive them. Meaning just the elect. For they know not what they do. The others knew what they did. I don't think we can reconcile it. By changing all. Whosoever. Every world, I think we should leave it alone. The Bible says world, we need to understand that it means the world. And if we change it, we've got to be consistent in changing it in other areas, especially when it's right in the same verse. I'll pick up on this next Sunday. And right where we left off, I'll pick up on that. And then we'll do a few lessons of this so we can understand it a little bit better. All right, Father, thank you for your word. hope it was edifying. We do ask your blessing over the church service. We're thankful that the little ones have a Sunday school teacher and they're having a good time. In Jesus Christ's name we do pray, amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.